uh, in conclusion of our series, and in light of today being our new members Sunday, I want to look at Psalm 122. So you can turn there. This is a wonderful psalm focusing on the, the gathering of God's people in his presence. Um, this psalm, I think, will teach us much about what we're doing on Sundays. And, and, I, and I trust will challenge us and encourage us uh, as God calls us to gather together as his people. So let's pray. And then we'll read God's word and we'll dig into the truths here. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Psalm 122. We thank you, Lord, for what we're already experiencing this, this morning and have experienced Sunday after Sunday. Lord, that is you in your goodness and glory, being in your presence with your precious people. Uh, Lord, there's nothing better. We're made for you and, Lord, uh, the privilege to enjoy you in, in all things, but also especially as we gather to worship uh, is the highest privilege we can know. So I pray you'd stir us up, Lord, as we look at your word. I pray, Lord, you would speak through me. Help me to serve you and serve your precious people. Lord, you love each one here. And I pray you'd help me to serve them and glorify you. That we could learn from you, God, hear from you, and walk in your glorious ways. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Follow along with me as I read from Psalm 122. A song of a sense of David. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. This psalm is one of the songs of ascent. These are songs that were sung on the journey to and from Jerusalem during the regular festivals. We talked about that last week, remember? Talking about worshiping together and feasting. And they would have three festivals where they would gather in Jerusalem to worship the Lord together. And so these psalms were the songs. It was on their playlist, so to speak, as they journeyed to and from Jerusalem. And so this is one of those Songs. We call them psalms, but they were originally music. We only have the lyrics now, so it's like poetry. Um, the English captures this song fairly well, and I'm sure as you listen to it, you can catch the gist here. This, the psalm is celebrating Jerusalem, the city of God. Uh, the psalmist is rejoicing in this great city and speaking about its essential qualities. He's calling those who hear this psalm, who are, who are singing it, to love the city that he loves. And so we're going to take time just to look at that, what he's expressing, and think about how it applies to us as King of Grace Church, where we don't live in the Old Testament times. So how does this apply to us? And I think what you'll see as we go through this, most importantly, is we are called to supremely love worshiping together with God's people. We are to supremely love Worshiping together with God's people. We'll, we'll look at this main point and we'll look at these subpoints as we go through this. So first off, first point is Jerusalem is the beloved city of God. The psalmist says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. 
Um, he is rejoicing in this idea of going to the house of the Lord. Somebody says, let's go, and he's glad. It's that simple, but it's conveying the idea of joy. Uh, the, this, the psalmist is really like a kid uh, arriving at Disney World for the first time. Uh, that's the, the sentiment here. Um, I can remember actually my first time, I don't know if you had a chance to go to Disney World. I remember my first time, I was, think it was sixth grade. I had taken an extra paper route to save up money to go down to Florida. Um, I had never been on a plane, one. I, had, I don't think I had ever been outside of New England. Matter of fact, I don't think I'd ever been outside of Massachusetts at that point. Uh, and so the whole experience was just amazing, flying down there and, and, uh, and warm, it was February vacation, I think sixth, sixth grade, and uh, the palm trees, everything, and then going, going to the different parks and going to Disney World, it, I was just like the psalmist, in awe, rejoicing that I got to go there. Well, that's what this psalmist feels like, like I did back then, like perhaps you did your first time going somewhere like that. Um, he says that he's standing in the gates uh, in Jerusalem, and he's there. Picture him with his mouth wide open, just saying, wow, I'm here. I was glad with this idea of going, and now I'm here. He's looking around and rejoicing in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, uh, in its day, was, was a wonder of the world. Uh, in the day when this was written, when the, the temple was there, the temple towered over the city. It's, it's a, a mountain, really, the city of Jerusalem. Uh, and the temple grounds were massive, and they were beautiful, especially during the second temple period, during Herod's temple. It was just something to behold. Uh, there are some really cool models nowadays uh, that depict what it looked like back then. It was a, a city that was full of homes, and then with the glorious temple there. And so the idea for this, the psalmist is, here I am at the gate, looking at this glorious sight before me. The temple of God towering over the whole area and then the city spread out before me. Um, he's rejoicing in this. He's, he's glad to be there. This is the place where God dwells. This is the place where God's people dwell. This is the place where the king of God's people in the Old Testament lives and rules. This is a dream come true for the psalmist to actually be in Jerusalem, the city of God. Now, this theme of the city of God is one that's throughout Scripture. This psalm is not a standalone psalm talking about this. This is something we see throughout Scripture, this theme of the city of God. Revelation chapter 21, the, the end of all things, the fulfillment of all things. We read in Revelation 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city. New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And then verse 22, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. The final destination, the, the New Jerusalem, is a glorious place, full of God's people, full of God's presence. This is both a reality and, and a picture, a, a symbol of the fullness of, of the final kingdom of this final city of God. So the ultimate salvation that God's going to bring will be to bring us, like the psalmist, into the temple, into the city, into this place where we will say, wow, I'm here. We're here. Now, it isn't just in Revelation we see this. We actually see it 
in the beginning of the Bible as well. This is a theme that starts in the beginning and goes to the very end. This idea of the city of God, the, the place of God. The Garden of Eden is a type of the city of God. Now, for us, the word garden doesn't connote like city stuff, right? We think of a garden as a place where you grow trees and vegetables. But a garden in Scripture, the word for garden, it means way more than that. Uh, the root of the word is where we get the word for paradise, but it was a word that was used for a kingly garden, an urban garden that would have been in a city, that would have been a glorious garden, uh, full of, of, of trees, full of, of the, the grandeur of the king's kingdom and so forth. It's a kingly garden. That's the idea here in the Garden of Eden. It's a place where a king dwelt and ruled, and that was God's call. He set Adam and Eve as king and queen over the earth to rule from that royal garden, to extend that royal garden, to extend the city of God, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with that city of God. That's the plan of God. And so that starts in the garden. Um, and, it, and it's to multiply and grow. Now we know the rest of the story that they failed in that mission. They turned away from depending on God and, and enjoying God and, and experiencing His grace and power to do this. And that sin has affected all of us. And there's a redemption. We'll get to that as we go along here. But, but that was the plan in the beginning and that's what's fulfilled in Revelation. Now you, you may think, well, I'm not sure about that. Well, take a look with me at Revelation chapter 22 as it describes the final city and the final kingdom, look at the sorts of things that are used to describe it. And what I'm, I'm going to tell you to look for is connections to the Garden of Eden. Revelation chapter 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. Then they will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. They will reign forever and ever. So the, the city, that final city, is depicted like the Garden of Eden. It's like the fulfillment. And so this idea of the city of God we see throughout Scripture, from the very beginning to the very end, and then right in the middle is our psalm, Psalm 122, celebrating this city of God. Now, in the Old Testament, the city of God is literally Jerusalem. It is literally the physical temple where the Lord meets with His people. That's in the Old Covenant. But what does it mean in the New Covenant? Well, we saw Revelation. We know where it goes. But what does it mean right now? Because we're not living in that New Jerusalem, at least in the fullness of that. So what does it mean? Well, we can look at Scripture as it talks about the New Testament church and learn some things. 1 Corinthians 3, Paul calls the church in Corinth the temple of God. He says, do you not know that you are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in you. Now later on, he's going to talk about you, singular, being the temple of God. Your body is the temple of God. And indeed, that's true. But this isn't you, singular. This is you, plural. And he's talking to the Corinthians as a whole, saying, do you not know that you, church in Corinth, local church in Corinth, that you together are God's temple? 
and that God's spirit dwells in you. Ephesians chapter 2, similarly, says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, speaking of, of believers who put their faith in Christ and experience new life, but you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the, the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Again, you, church in Ephesus. And 1 Peter 2 says a similar thing as well. So what we are to understand, looking at these verses, looking at this theme, thinking of Psalm 122, the church is now the city of God, the temple of God. They are synonymous in the psalm, by the way, and throughout Scripture they go together because the temple was so prominent in the city. So the church is the place where God dwells. And not just speaking of the universal church. Sometimes people will say, yeah, the, the universal church. No, Paul in these verses is speaking to local churches in localities like ours, like the many local churches throughout the world. And he is teaching us, the, the Lord through him is teaching us, that the local church is the very place where God dwells. No longer is it physical Jerusalem, per se, it is the local church, and there will be a fulfillment of that, of course, in the final New Jerusalem. So in the New Testament, the place that we are glad to go to, when it says, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord, the place where we sit, stand at the gate saying, here we are, is right here. And of course, it means the whole life of the local church, but as we've been learning on Sundays, when we gather together and worship together, it is a special, very special, very important aspect of the life of our church. And there's no other equivalent. Your quiet time, your time in prayer is really important. Your time in small group is really important. That's part of it. But it's not the same as being together here. So the psalmist, the equivalency with, the, with Psalm 122 in light of Scripture is right now as we are together. So... As we read the psalm, I think we can't help but ask the question, does this describe us? The psalmist's enthusiasm is, a, is meant to encourage us to the same enthusiasm. The psalmist's faith for the gathering of God's people is meant to encourage us to the same faith. And so the question is, is this your experience? Is this your attitude about being with the church on Sunday? Can you say, can we say with the psalmist, I was glad when they said, let's go to church. I was glad on Saturday night when I thought tomorrow we get to be together and worship God. I was glad when I had to get up a little early on Sunday morning because I know I don't like to get up early, but I get to worship with God's people today. I was glad when I walked up the steps and heard the music and thought about once again being in the presence of God and joining his glory, and his precious people. We are called to the same enthusiasm. We are to count it a great joy to worship together. We are to be glad when we think about going to church. That's what this psalm teaches us. Now, it isn't because, you know, there's some really nice people that are good friends of ours that are here. It's really not because the building is so amazing when you come inside. 
It's not even because the music is great or the preaching might be good or something like that. The reason that the psalmist is joyful to be there, of course, includes those sorts of things, but at the core of it is that Jerusalem was the place of God's presence. It's the place where God dwells. It isn't that he just is a a city boy who likes to be in a city. It's because that's where God dwells. And Jerusalem is synonymous with the temple. The temple towered over the whole city. And what made Jerusalem great was not Jerusalem per se, but God who is great. Jerusalem was great because God is great. God is great. What, whatever application and connection we have with this is, is the same. The church and being together on Sundays is only great because God is great. And he is great and greater than we can imagine. And maybe your lack of enthusiasm at times, and we all, we all struggle with this, by the way. I don't accept myself. I wish I could. But your struggles to be eager and joyful is, is because you need to, you don't understand well enough just how great God is. And that he dwells here and we get to be with him. He is infinitely and incomprehensibly holy. So glad that Anthony read Isaiah 6. There is no sin or shade of darkness in him. He is only and always good and wise and holy. His perfection, his glory, his otherness from us is so far above our comprehension. So beyond us. I remember once hearing someone say that uh, in heaven they hoped that they wouldn't just sit there worshiping God the whole time because that would be really boring. What a terrible idea, thought. Uh, how, how far short that sort of statement uh, is of understanding just how glorious and good God is. The greatest angels in, in the hierarchy of angels, the seraphim themselves, these mighty angels, these glorious angels with, with, with wings, with eyes everywhere, with three sets of wings and they fly and they cover their feet and they cover their eyes, eyes all over. It looks like something out of science fiction. You would be terrified to see these angels. They are there in the throne room and day and night, these glorious angels who, who are glorious above us in so many ways, these glorious angels never tire, never tire of day and night saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They worship and enjoy Him forever. He is great and holy beyond our imagination. He is great in every dimension of His character. Every dimension. He's great in power. He's great in wisdom. He's great in His righteousness, in His justice, in His love, in His mercy, in His grace. And, and we only get a, a, a small taste of the glory of these things through His creation. His creation is made that we might engage Him and behold Him in all these qualities. And, and history itself, and ultimately the revelation of Christ, God in the flesh, is to show us these qualities that are great beyond our imagination. He's infinitely more glorious than anything. And creation is only a, a, an attempt to display his glory. And will never stop probing his glory in creation. It's endless. 
as great as creation is, it's but a flashlight to the sun in comparison to his glory. His glory outshines everything. There is nobody and nothing better than God. There's nothing better than his love. His love which is so great in his perfect holiness that he would give his only son. That God in a unity, the three in one, together would say, we love these people so much that we will send the Son. The Son will go. God the Son will humble Himself, become human, be born as a poor baby, live a life of simplicity and lowliness, serve others, teach the truth, love always, and then in His perfection, in His goodness and glory, God in the flesh will give himself up on the cross in our place to pay for our sins so that we might be forgiven and reconciled to God so that we might be counted fully as sons and daughters. This amazing exchange that we have in Christ through simple faith. God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God so that through simple faith in Christ that we could experience this great exchange. Our sins put on Christ, Christ's righteousness credited to us so that we could be welcomed into his presence. There's no greater love than that. We were talking about this yesterday uh, with the men's Bible study. And just the reality as you, as you walk the Christian life, you're just more and more aware of how good he is and how bad you are in comparison. But what bridges that? The gospel, Christ, Jesus, crucified for us, risen, reigning, for us, keeping us, leading us onward. That's what bridges that. And so as we grow in Christ, we, we certainly do are to grow in Christian character, but we grow in the size of that gap. We, the realization of how big that gap is and how much his love is that would bridge that for us. There's no greater love. And you will spend, if, if you've chosen to turn from self and sin, to trust in him, you belong to him, you're safe, and you will spend eternity contemplating and growing in your contemplation and understanding of his vast and infinite love. And that's just one character aspect of who God is. Obviously, I, you're probably thinking, okay, how long is he going to go with this? I could go a long time. Matter of fact, we will go a long time with this in heaven. But I'll try to stop right now just to move on. But I want you to get that point that what is so great about being in his presence is his greatness. What's so great about church is that God is here with us. And he makes provision. He made provision for his people in the Old Testament. It was a, uh, there was a sacrificial system that was at the center of the temple. And it spoke of atonement for their sins so that they might enter in. And Christ himself is the fulfillment of that for us. Now we don't like that in our natural selves because we want to approach God on our own. But if we understood who he is and who we are, we would never attempt such a thing. And he in his mercy for us in our ignorance has done this already for us and has determined that this good news of Jesus Christ would be preserved and propagated and brought to you this day so that you can choose to put your faith in Jesus instead of yourself. You can put your faith in the only righteous one instead of yourself. 
you can stop thinking that you have to do something to make yourself worthy. Instead, look simply to Jesus and be counted as a son or daughter and welcomed into the presence of God himself. This is the wonderful good news. And this is the greatest thing about us as a local church or any local church. God himself in all this truth and all this goodness and glory dwells with us. I hope that we always keep that as the center of how we understand ourselves and what we rejoice in. All the other things that we do are ultimately to point to God and to facilitate, according to his word, his presence among us so that we can encounter him and worship him and enjoy him and be edified by him and be changed by him. It's not about the building, though we want to have the best building we can. It's not about nice, well-dressed people, but we want to be nice, well-dressed people. It's not about a polished music team. It's not even about our order of service, ultimately, but it's about him. And all that we've done this summer, actually, in going through these things is so that we could, we could think about what he calls us to so we can arrange accordingly that through these means, through these elements of worship, through this order of service, we might better encounter him and better enjoy him and better worship him and better be changed by him. There's no better place than to be with God and his people on a Sunday experience experiencing his presence. And, and I'm so grateful because Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, for 20 years almost now, 19 years, we have been blessed with his sweet and glorious presence in some measure. And I've seen him touch others' lives too. And it's undeserved and it's amazing. And I, I hope we never take it for granted. But gather every Sunday and during the week, prayerfully asking God to once again show us his glory. The psalmist continues in verses 3 and 4. He says, Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord. As, we, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. The psalmist is looking at Jerusalem and, and, and enjoying, of course, the presence of God and the marvel of this place. But he's also recognizing it's a city that's bound firmly together. That, that it's where the tribes go up. That the people of God are crowded into the city. Now during the feast, they would have been very crowded into the city. Uh, there were, I know at least in the time of Christ, there could be millions of people present in and around Jerusalem during these feasts. And it's interesting that, that you may not like crowds, but the psalmist likes crowds. He sees this packed city and he's rejoicing in it because it's packed with who? The people of God. The most precious people on earth. Who are precious because of God, not in and of ourselves. They are there packed into the city to enjoy God, to worship God. This is the, the people of God packed together. And so the psalmist is rejoicing in it. And this is a, a quality of the, the, the people of God is that they love one another. And they love being with one another. It's a phenomenon that comes from God himself. It's not from us. Left to ourselves, I don't know, maybe personality-wise, you're somebody who just likes to be with people. Some of us, especially, I'm a, I'm a natural introvert. That's just, I don't necessarily naturally like to be with everybody of all sorts. Matter of fact, before I knew Jesus, there were certain people I didn't like to be with at all. 
And I remember as a young believer, I came to faith right before college. I was in college and, I, and we were doing something with my Christian ministry. And, and it just hit me. It struck me like, boy, these guys are really different than me. But I love them so much. And I thought, you know, back in high school, we wouldn't have been friends at all. Like that guy's a geek. That guy's a band guy. And just all of the labels that you had, they weren't my group. Paul talks about in Titus how we, we lived hating and being hated. That's the reality, the, this idea of, of cliques and seclusion. But when we experience the love of God, it changes us. And we love being with God's people. And, and God's people are diverse. They're diverse people. That's God's design. But we experience deep unity. And that's what the psalmist is getting at here. There's nothing better than to be joined with God's people in the worship of God together from diverse backgrounds, experiencing the presence of God. It's a wonderful thing, and it's never a perfect thing, by the way, because the people that he joins together are imperfect people, sinful people, learning to become more like Jesus. Nevertheless, it's a glorious thing. I love what C.H. Spurgeon says, uh, Charles Spurgeon says about this. I, he says, if I had never joined a church till I had found one that was perfect, I should never have joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if it if I had found one, I should have spoiled it, for it would not have been perfect, the per, a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still, and perfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. When we understand the goodness and glory of God, when we understand His great love for us, when we can see that love in one another, and we see Christ shaping others, when we're filled with that love so that we welcome new people, we welcome people amongst us. When we have these things shaping us, we have the same sentiment. We love being with the people of God. The psalmist goes on, and I'll try to make this quick. Though I'd love to talk about this for a long time. But uh, the, the, psalm, the psalmist goes in verse 5, Their thrones for judgment were set for, uh, thrones of the house of David. So this is the place where the king rules. The chosen king David and his descendants rule here. And so the psalmist is celebrating the rule of God through his chosen king. Now, this is fulfilled ultimately in Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Davidic king. He is the ruler. And by the way, the thrones for judgment. Judgment has a negative connotation in English. That's not what the word means. It's, it's bringing justice. That's the idea. Uh, and it points to actually the core biblical function of government is to ensure justice. And so the king is to bring justice, both the negative side, punishing the evildoer, the positive side, ensuring that, that people are treated appropriately and systems are treated appropriately. So, so the king rules, the thrones for justice really maybe is a, a better translation for our English, are there. And Jesus is the fulfillment of this. And now Jesus does this here through our local church and every local church. How does he do it? How does he rule and reign here? Well, In coming to Him, we repent of our sins. We turn from our sin and ourself and we come under His reign. We receive His life given for us on the cross, but we also, in that transaction, we submit to Him. We say, you're my Savior and Lord. My life belongs to you. And there's a new life in the power of the Holy Spirit that, that gives us power to submit to Him. How do we practically do that? We do it by coming under His Word in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the local church is the place where the throne of Christ is set up because he rules over us. How? Through his word 
and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now we all have roles to serve in that reign. And certainly elders are called to bring the word of God, to speak authoritatively in line with the word of God, that we might come under the reign of Jesus. That's part of how it works. And then we together encourage and help each other in this. But that's what we're doing. We come under the reign of the king here. The kingdom of God is present in and among and through the local church as we submit to him in his word. And so just as the psalmist celebrates this, we should celebrate the fact that we get to come under his reign by being part of a local church. This is part of God's design. So just some thoughts in that. Are you, as you are part of King of Grace, are you thinking this way that I'm submitting to the king's reign in my life? Do you come here on Sundays to hear the word that you might receive it as from the king? To believe it, to find life, you need the the power of the king in your life, but to obey him and to do that together. That's what we're doing. We're submitting to the Lord as we gather in his name together. We're to do that as we come unto the word and certainly we need help from one another in that process. Finally, believers must love the city of God. The psalm finishes with this. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls. And security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. He's asking for the peace and prosperity of Jerusalem. For the sake of his brothers and companions and for the glory of God. It makes sense because he understands what the city of God is all about. It's the very place of God's presence. It's the place where God's people live together in unity. It's the place of God's reign. Therefore, he wants this place to experience prosperity, true prosperity, because it is the dearest place in the entire earth. Of course, this translates to a local church. Whichever local church you're a part of, we are one among many throughout the globe. But this is to be the dearest place for us. We are to have the same sentiment as the psalmist. We're to love being with God's people. We're to love living under the rain. We're to love cooperating together with what he's doing. This is to be the dearest place. Now, that sounds radical in our culture. Because our culture, honestly, the the priorities in our culture is first self. Who you are. How you define yourself, it's yourself. That's, your, that's the cultural first priority. Then secondly, family and friends. And then an institution, eh, probably not. You don't even want to do that thing. Any sort of institution, any sort of group. You want to be free because you can't be part of a group and preserve self and family. That's our culture. And that is contrary to what we see here. That's contrary to the, what the psalmist feels and says. It's contrary to what the word of God teaches us. Now, certainly, the individual and family have a rightful place. Scripture is very clear on those things. That's not what I'm saying. But these things, the self and the family, are to to be an integral part and build the local church. They are to appropriately be subservient, appropriately, all the biblical qualifications, to what God's doing through the local church. The priority in Scripture is not you and not even your family. They fit into the equation of what God's doing in and through his gathered people. That's what I think scripture clearly teaches. And you might not like that. I apologize. I'm not trying to offend you. But I am trying to represent God's word. And I'm trying to convey to you what I think the Lord would say to you and to me, to all of us. 
This is to be our priority. We are to supremely love the people of God, particularly as the people of God gather together. And we've been through 18 months that have worked against that in many ways. Because of our isolation, because of COVID, and understandable reasons for that, we've not been able to be together. And I think it's affected everybody. All of us. Self-included. We're used to being isolated, and we have to relearn the priority here of coming together and the importance of coming together to worship and to live life and be on mission together. I don't want you to be a King Grace groupie. That's not what I'm saying. But we are called to, to love being with God's people. We're called to do other things. And if you're here every single Sunday the rest of your life, I'm probably going to ask you, are you doing some other things that are important in your life? Like taking vacation, going to important family events, things like that. I'll ask you that question if I, if I notice that. But I don't think we're in danger of that. I think we're in danger of going the other way. And the stats show it across the board in, in the church in the West. Attendance has gone down, 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 down. We don't care about attendance per se, by the way. We care about these things. And you. And life. And the, and the glory of God and the mission of God in and through his people. Now we've spent time, and just in conclusion, spent time going through this series. We went through 10 different topics. And these things speak of the elements on Sunday, the different worship elements. Um, and so we talk about the priority of worship, the word, communion, song, creeds, prophecy, confession, prayers, thanksgiving, and feasting. 10 topics. And I trust it's encouraged you the, the plan is to introduce some of these elements uh, on a rotating basis. I don't think our service will change all that much. We'll probably use the offering slot to do some things that we haven't done as much in the past, like um, praying more, reciting the creed together, having testimonies in that time and, and elsewhere, confessing our sins, receiving our forgiveness, things like that. We'll probably adjust our break a little bit. Sorry, um, just shorten it. Probably try to keep you in your locale where you are. Say hi to those around you. Greet maybe a new person. Take a minute or two at the most, then come back. So we have some more time to do these other things. The purposes here are, of course, to strengthen our worship together. So that we might say with the psalmist, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. In conclusion, let me just ask you right now to take a minute and pray. Because I think for all of us, we need to search our hearts. Lord, search me and know me and help me. I want to value what you do. I want this psalm to, to characterize my life. Maybe you have been doing too much on Sundays. You've come to serve, but you've overserved, And maybe that's how God would adjust things. We want to help you with that. We want to come together and say with the psalmist, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. So let's take a minute to pray. And then Pastor Toby will come up to transition us to communion.